This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess, it's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. A licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. All right, Team Buck, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. Uh, we've got Harlan Hill with us, who we've had on before. He's a great guest. He's a former Democratic consultant turned Trump supporter, and he's also a tech startup founder. Harlan, welcome to the Freedom Hut again, my friend. Good to have you. Thanks for having me. It's always great to be with you. You know, I haven't gotten a chance to ask you about this. So if you don't mind, please, your your transition from Democrat consultant to Trump supporter. Uh, how did that what was the process there? What was the what was the thought process and, and what made that what made you make the change? So I get this question all the time. It's it started out that in at the beginning of the Democratic primary in the, in the 2016 election, I was supporting Bernie Sanders Now I supported him. Uh, by holding my nose, because I'm not a socialist, I'm actually a pretty moderate guy. Um, I think you, not to interrupt you, but I think you were on my show when you were supporting Bernie Sanders, and I was like, this is a very sensible, reasonable, and intelligent individual. We should have him back at some point, but continue. Yeah, so, look, I liked what Bernie said. like, yeah, that's right, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I liked what Bernie said about trade. I, I liked that Bernie was pointing out different issues with the decline in the American middle class that was largely spearheaded by the Democratic establishment, but also elements of the Republican establishment. So Donald and Bernie were pointing to a lot of the same problems. Their solutions, however, were quite different. Um, when it became clear that Bernie wasn't going to win, that his politics were way too far to the left for me to really uh, stand, um, I started to take a really hard look at, at Donald. And uh, I haven't looked back since. I mean, you know, even through all of the scandals, I've been pretty loyal. I mean, this guy, I, I really believe, um, is standing up to the media establishment in a way that both Democrats and Republicans have hoped a candidate would for so long, or a president now would for so long. And uh, he's making, he's following through on his promises, whether it's the wall, whether it's taking in, uh, NAFTA on to renegotiate the trade deals. Um, he, he's actually following you know, following along with, with, with his promises. So it's a breath of fresh air. Um, by the way, the way that this is being covered, the presidency is being covered on the left uh, and by, by Democrats out there is pretty, pretty incredible. I mean, you've got MSNBC's yeah. Rachel Maddow uh, and Shimon, let's play this clip, saying that Trump 
has failed in every conceivable way. Play it. The the personnel debacles and the serious scandals that already attend to this less than one month old presidency are really, and without hyperbole, they are unlike anything that we have ever seen at the start of a presidential term. And that's completely leaving aside the issue of policy. I mean, there has been no significant legislation passed since this president has been in office. He has signed into law zero major policies. The only exception to that is his Muslim ban and refugee ban, which he signed as an executive order at the end of January. Well, today, as the president proclaimed how finely tuned his machine is, as he crowed about how perfectly everything has rolled out thus far, including that Muslim ban, today, that too, his first policy initiative, that today, completely fell apart. Administration lawyers, as he was wrapping up that press conference, they were writing to the Ninth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals today, asking that court to please vacate its previous ruling, striking down the ban as unconstitutional, or at least, forgive me, upholding a stay on it. The reason the administration asked the court to vacate their previous ruling is because, quote, the president intends in the near future to rescind the order and replace it with a new substantially revised executive order. This is the one substantial policy they have tried to enact. In this first disastrous four weeks of his administration, this is the one policy they have tried to enact. And today, all he right, was let's let Harlan. To all right, enough of Maddow, for heaven's sake. <laughs> Harlan, I want you to respond to Ms. Maddow there. Go for it. Yeah, look, the mainstream media and the liberal media, which are really one and the same, are totally incapable of honestly covering this president. They're, you have to put this into context. For 18 months, they made comparisons to Hitler. They compared him to Hitler. They compared Kellyanne Conway to girls. They, they now, you know, in the New York Times, I just read a piece on there uh, asking whether it's time to call Trump mentally ill. The BBC's done the same. I saw something in The Guardian. Their their bias is informed by their belief that their role in uh, in, in in American democracy is to defeat the states that return. And so she's doing really well with her ratings now because she considers herself to be in opposition to the president. And there are elements of the Democratic Party that appreciate that. But let's not confuse what they're doing and what The New York Times is doing and what most of the liberal media is doing with journalism and because it's not it's just not and really sort of amazing that these democrats are calling out donald trump for not being able to pass legislation in the what is it four weeks he's been in office when barack obama was totally incapable of walking and chewing gum at the same time and he spent uh, he spent the vast majority of his first um uh, uh, term as president of the United States, putting out fires as it relates to Obamacare and his stimulus bill. He was totally incapable of, uh, of executing the Democratic agenda. Um, and and he, so it, it just smacks of unbelievable um, a lack of self-awareness that they're criticizing Donald Trump for not being able to pass or you know, sign a bill in his first four weeks when he's just trying to get his cabinet in order. Um, you know, if, if in a year, Donald Trump hasn't made any movement on the wall. He hasn't made any movement on NASA. We don't have we don't have real tax reform, and we don't have a repeal and replace of Obamacare. Then I'm going to be in the streets, mad as hell, you know, saying that you know Donald Trump's not following through with his campaign promises. But at this point, I see that he's laying the groundwork for it, 
and that he's putting together a team that's going to be able to execute on this efficiently. And so, uh, you know, Maddow's living in an alternate reality, but I think that's informed by the fact that, you know, she doesn't feel as though um, she's beholden to journalistic standards. Instead, she's just feeding red meat to to liberal viewers that, you know, are, are, are eating this up. This is exactly what they want in here. What are your expectations for uh, the next major Trump policy agenda items that are coming up here? We've got the new executive order on immigration supposed to hit next week sometime. That's obviously going to cause quite a flurry. And you mentioned Obamacare. That's going to take some time. They're saying tax reform will also take some time. Uh, so what do you think is uh, what do you think is going to have enough momentum to perhaps influence or change some of the media narrative. I know they're going to hate Trump no matter what, but at least they can't focus on just a White House in disarray. They're going to have to deal with what he does. What do you think he's going to be doing in the next few weeks? Well, frankly, I think part of that's going to be driven by the legislative agenda of uh, Paul Ryan and and Mitch McConnell. Um, You know, Ann Coulter had that scathing piece out yesterday about how the Republicans in the House had passed numerous repeal and replaces of of Obamacare during uh, Obama's administration. And, you know, we've been around for four weeks and they haven't done anything. Now, I'm going to give them a pass for now because they've been a bit distracted, especially, you know, Senate Republicans. They're just trying to get Donald Trump's team lined up. But I I think Obamacare has got to be top of the list. It's got to be. You know, obviously, Donald's moved, at least in part, to mitigate some of the problems of Obamacare by signing that executive order that um, instructs the IRS not to enforce um, the, uh, the, the, the penalty. So, you know, there, there's some there's some steps to mitigate that. But this is really a crisis. I mean, I was talking to somebody who's a small business owner in South Carolina, and he employs several hundred workers. And he's got a great, thriving business. He's been around for decades. And Obamacare is going to put him under. And I know that there are hundreds of small business owners just like him that cannot operate their business under the burden uh, and, and, and taxation imposed by Obamacare. So I think this is top of the list. I think this is an economic priority that Ob- that, that Trump should take uh, take seriously. Um, tax reform is a little bit more complicated. I think it's just as important. I think Wall Street's expecting it. And, you know, he's obviously very concerned with the performance of, of, uh, the, of the, uh, the, 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 the stock market. And uh, so I, I think that because that's so visible, he's going to tax reform and, and make it a priority. But, um, you know, I I, they shouldn't rush that. What why why can't they? I'm just wondering, Harlan. Why, why yeah. can't they do tax reform? In the, you know, why, why no, can't I, that be done in the next few weeks? I mean, Paul well, Ryan. I, I, you feel like the guy goes to sleep every night with a copy of the tax code under his pillow. You know, he's like a he's like a budget super nerd. This is what this guy yeah. does. You've got members of yeah. Congress. I mean, what are they doing all the time? I mean, are they really just fundraising well, and trying to get on you know, trying to get on cable news? I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I've, I've got Ann coming on on my show at night tonight. Uh, to talk about this, why we're okay? Obamacare very complicated. I get it, but they've been fighting and complaining about Obamacare for years. The tax code. We now have a Republican president, a Republican majority in the Senate, Republican majority in the yep. House. Yep. I mean, I, I feel like this should be like they have a a, a book of things they want to do. They put it out on the table yep. and they go execute. But I mean, I must be missing something. What am I missing? Well, I mean, part of the problem, and Ann mentioned this in her piece, is that. Republicans had a 90% re-election uh, rate in the last election. I, I think that there are a lot of establishment interests. I mean, you watch this on cable news. I actually saw one congressman on Fox News one, uh, one hour, and then I saw him on CNN the next hour. And, and he's a Republican congressman. I'm not going to drop his name, but 
he he said basically he, he was praising Trump on Fox and trashing him on CNN. And so I think that there's some duplicity on, on the part of even Republicans in the House of Representatives. I don't really feel like that they're necessarily in line with him. Um, and, uh, you know, as for tax reform, uh, I, I believe the height when uh, people point to, to budget suggesting that, you know, if we institute major tax reform, um, especially at the corporate level, that it's going to throw some of the numbers off. Um, and so there's, there's, you know, but one also argues that there will be economic growth that, that uh, is derived from those tax cuts. But, I, I, you know, there's division with even, even within the Republican Party as to whether that's, that's, that's true or not. So uh, I agree with you. I expected, given all of the rhetoric that came out of Paul Ryan's uh, town hall on CNN, that they had a plan that they were just going to pull off the shelf to repeal Obamacare, that they had a plan on tax, tax cuts that they were just going to pull off the shelf, lay it on the table, and pass. That's obviously not true. Which is the question, what were they doing for six years that they were in control of the House of Representatives during uh, the Obama administration? Were they just... We're, we're, are they just a party in opposition? Are Republicans just a party in opposition? And and they they were, you know, they were passing these bills, repeals of Obamacare to to look good, or are they being serious about governing? And um, I think that, frankly, Donald Trump should hold Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell to the to the fire, because if they aren't able to agenda through um, quickly, there are going to be repercussions in 2018. I don't think the Democrats can win back the House or the Senate. We see that Democrats are already retreating from Florida um, in, in the Senate race there. But, um, but there will be consequences. And, um, and I think Donald should, should lay it out. If you guys don't perform for me, I am going to, uh, I'm going to campaign against, I'm going to primary you. I'm going to have, I'm going to have you know, surrogates, uh, campaign allies, primary you in your local. And I, I think that that should be something that that, uh, that most Republicans stand behind, at least Republican voters. Um, I'm sure that the establishment and the RNC wouldn't. But these guys have been there for too long. They were not loyal to Donald Trump through the, through the election. And I think we'll betray the stab him at the bat, in the back. Uh, convenience. All right, Harlan. Appreciate very much you joining us here. Harlan Hill is a former Democratic consultant or Trump supporter. He is at H-A-R-L-A-N on Twitter. And we were hoping he'll be a uh, regular guest here in the Freedom Hut. Harlan, great to have you. Come back soon. Thanks, Brian. Bye. Take care. Uh, phones are open. 888-900-3393. And team, I've got a lot more show. I'll be right back. The Buck Sexton Show. Discover more at theblaze.com slash radio. The Blaze Radio Network. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline, a licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. 
Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. We are joined now by Matt Walsh. He is the author of the Matt Walsh blog. He's also a Blaze writer. You can read his latest on theblaze.com, and you can download the Matt Walsh podcast. And a little heads up to all of you, you should definitely check out his book, which you can pre-order, The Unholy Trinity. Matt, thanks so much for calling in. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, all right, let's talk about your piece. I know it was uh, published earlier in the week. We haven't got a chance to discuss it here on the show yet, though. Apparently, unborn babies are only human when they belong to Beyonce. First off, I, I thought that Beyonce performance was bizarre and pretty terrible. And the weird Beyonce worship thing, I couldn't agree with you more. The uh, Adele saying that Beyonce should have won it and breaking the award in half and everything. Look, I think that this is not just an extension of the cult of personality that celebrities have, but there's also political correctness involved here. I don't think we should be shy about saying that. And I wanted your take on both that and also how unborn babies are only human when they belong to Beyonce, as you say in your piece. Yeah, it's a really, it's a, the Beyonce thing is, it's a, it's a, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize how bad it was until I, you know, criticized her once in something I wrote a while ago. And then you get the, I guess they call it the Bayhive, comes after you. And these are people who, we talk about celebrity worship, and sometimes maybe that's a hyperbolic way of putting it, but this is literal worship. Some of these celebrities are literally worshipped as gods, and that is uh, what happens with Beyonce. And you saw in their performance, which I only saw clips of, I didn't watch the whole thing, uh, I couldn't stomach it, but she obviously sees herself as a sort of pagan deity of sorts, uh, which is why she was traipsing up there on stage. Like, I don't know what she was going for. It, it, at certain points, she looked like she thought she was Christ at the Last Supper, and at another point, she's some Egyptian goddess. Or something. I don't know, but um, it's, a, it's a very, you know, it's a, with, with, in modern, with celebrities in our culture today, not only are they deified by their fans, but they tend to deify themselves and compare themselves to God, to gods, and it's a very uh, troubling thing. But on top of that, yeah, it's, you know, she... Uh, it's not just Beyonce. Anytime a celebrity gets pregnant, a famous person gets pregnant, we know we, we you know, look liberal media, the media goes crazy over it. And you've got all of these outlets and all of these people who usually wouldn't even dignify unborn children by calling them babies. All of these people suddenly are, you know, they're calling them babies. They're talking about, they're using phrases like life in the womb. They're saying, you know, Beyonce had their performance and she was pregnant. It's a celebration of motherhood. It was, I mean, all of these really glowing terms about unborn babies and about motherhood that you would never hear otherwise. Um, and I, I would like, if I was maybe more optimistic, I would say, well, you know, it's, it's, maybe it's a good thing because at least, even if these people in our culture don't normally respect unborn children, at least in this case they do. So that's, that's getting us somewhere, I guess. But what I talk about in the piece is that it's, this is actually just a symptom of uh, it's not an exception to their usual pro-abortion ideology. It's a symptom of it, where, where they think that, you know, it's not that unborn babies 
aren't people. It's that they're not always people. You know, some unborn babies can be people, but whether or not their humanity is sort of bestowed upon them by external factors. So they're, they're people if they're wanted. They're people if society wants them. And they're especially people if they are wanted by, you know, their famous, rich, uh, attractive mothers. So we see how, you know, when I look at it, I see how the the humanity of the unborn is is determined by these external factors. And this is just another symptom of that. Yeah, it is. It is a very important point you make here that there's so much uh, there's all this effusive uh, praise and celebration of Beyonce's twins. And and as you point on the piece that you celebrate any any woman having twins or a baby or four babies quads whatever it, it's it's a beautiful thing but it's no more beautiful that Beyonce is pregnant than any other woman is is pregnant in terms of the worthiness of the life and the importance of it and that is completely lost on the media I mean that that's and not just the media that's completely lost on everybody who is pro-choice everybody who is part of this celebrity worship they they never make this connection of course and I, and I think they would be indignant Matt I'm sure they would be you probably could share some emails if you pointed it out to them yeah yeah well 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 certainly and uh, and you know, the, the the other thing that I, I was I remember a story um, I don't know it was a couple maybe a couple of years ago uh, uh, speaking of Adele she made some comment about how uh, her, you know, being a mother is the best thing in her life, and it's where she. Wait, finds Matt, her can family. I can I get you to hold this answer? We'll we'll get it. I'll let you finish the other side of the break. Is that all right? We're just running into a hard break yeah. here. So, Matt, you're talking about Adele and uh, and pregnancy and Beyonce. Uh, we're speaking to Matt Walsh. Everybody, we're going to have him on the other side of the break. Matt, thank you for being flexible. And team, we'll be right back. Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss Pat and Stu. The Buck Sexton Show. And we're back with Matt Walsh. Uh, pre-order his new book, The Unholy Trinity, and uh, read his latest piece on theblaze.com. Matt, I'm sorry to interrupt. We had to go on a break there. What were you saying about Adele and Beyonce's worshipped pregnancy situation? Yeah, yeah, it's not often that I have opinions about Adele and Beyonce, but uh, it, I, I just I can remember a couple of years ago, maybe it was a year ago or so, that Adele said something in an interview about how, you know, she's a mother and she finds joy in it and that's where she finds her purpose. And uh, the liberal media was upset, about, was upset at her about that, saying that she was diminishing her accomplishments and reinforcing gender stereotypes and gender roles. So it's just interesting how, you know, the, the context in which women are allowed to celebrate motherhood and when they're not, and it's just, it seems kind of random because on one hand you have Beyonce celebrated because you know she's got this performance and she's pregnant and she's making that a big focus of the performance on the other hand over here so it's just it's an interesting it seems it seems somewhat random I don't think our culture knows exactly what it wants to do with women and motherhood and children and all those things yeah I don't know if you saw this this is just an aside Matt but Carlos Santana who I know best because he uh, of he's so smooth that song with uh, Matchbox 20 
which now that I'm saying yeah. this out loud, I feel like I'm admitting something to everybody, including you. But uh, he said he said that uh, Beyonce was not really a singer, or she was sort of more of a performer, or there was some other way, but not really a singer. He had to walk that one back real quick. The uh, Beyonce police came for him. Yeah, yeah. God forbid, God, God forbid you offer any kind of, and that's and that's in my opinion, that's a, an accurate uh, criticism. I mean, she's more of a you know, most of these pop pop stars are really just dancers. And they don't write their own music. The vocals aren't really the focus of, of the performance. So I, I would tend to agree with him there. All right. Now, Matt, I want to get back onto the policy side of things for a second here. Uh, we, we know that the G- House GOP has been saying for a while that they would like to defund Planned Parenthood. Uh, where does that stand right now? And, and do you think they're really going to are, are they really going to go forward on this? I don't know. That's a that's a really good question. I I, have, I don't know what they're doing, I, and I know it's only been a month. But um, if you look at what the Democrats did when they when they when they owned uh, the House and Senate and the presidency, they they moved they moved very very quickly on some really big pieces of legislation and some big aspects of their agenda. And I'm not sure a month in what have the Republicans done? They, they don't have a lot of time. They don't. They probably only have two years with this kind of power. And they need to move on things. And one of the things that they said they'd move on is defunding Planned Parenthood. I don't know why they can't just do it. They, that's something they, they should have the votes for. They could just do it and get it done. They haven't done it. From what I've read, they, they, you know, they want to attach it to um, repealing Obamacare. But even now, there are some reports that you know, some Republicans, moderate Republicans, are backing away from that and saying maybe we don't want to attach that to the Obamacare thing. So my my fear is uh, is that look doesn't it kind of sound not to interrupt you Matt but it kind of sounds like some of them are losing their nerve a little bit you think that's fair to say that's that's what it strikes me as yeah well I would say they never even they never had nerve to be to begin with it's easy to have nerve on things like this when you don't have power and so you can just say yeah well if I was in charge I would do this and that but now they are in charge and so they actually have to demonstrate that nerve they don't have any my it's, a Planned Parenthood's been funded for forty years and we've had Republican Congresses before. So my fear is this is just going to be more of the same, and, and uh, they're going to make some excuse and just bide their time till two years from now and they're not in control anymore, and they could say, well, you know, too bad. If I could make you policy czar starting on Monday, and both Trump, and I know this is crazy, but just play along with me, both Trump and the GOP uh, leadership in the House and the Senate would have to listen to you and take orders from you as to what they should do next. What would be your top policy item agenda? Where would you want them to go? <laughs> oh, man, There's, there are so many things. Well, I, repealing Obamacare is obviously a top priority, and I, I guess I would like to see that done first. But that, I realize, is a little bit more complicated, and that, that, that will take some time to especially if they feel like they have to replace it with something, which I don't think they do. Um, that kind of defeats the purpose of the whole idea is we're, we're getting government out of healthcare, not just getting them involved in a different way. But either way, it's, that's a, a, you know, that was the whole fear, the whole problem with Obamacare in the first place, is that once it's, once it's in there, you know, once you have a program like that, people are dependent on it, it's difficult to take it away. Um, so for me, I, my, my first thing I would do is defund Planned Parenthood because it should be so easy to do. It's just all you have, you know, there's, it's, there's not much to it. You just do it. And uh, aside from the way people, you know, a lot of people, of course, the liberals will react to it in, in a very apocalyptic way, as they always do. But in reality, it won't affect anyone's life. Nobody outside of, you know, the executives of Planned Parenthood will even really notice that it happened. 
And so it's such an easy thing to do, and I think it's really important because, call me crazy, but the fact that we're giving half a billion dollars every year to a company that murders uh, 300,000 children a year, that to me is a really, really big deal, and we should stop doing it. And uh, and we should make that. Is, isn't it fair to say, Matt, that that given that that is the position of anybody who is truly pro life, there's an urgency here. Uh, defunding Planned Parenthood, if if one if one is in fact pro life and believes exactly what you just said, which I think you have to believe if you're pro life, it does. This is not the sort of thing where you want to sit back and say we're going to give us another twelve months, you know, see see how it plays out. No, shouldn't they? They should do that now. And so the attaching it to Obamacare, which we're told is going to take a long time, to me seems like almost an unconscionable and unethical delay. Yeah, I would. I certainly would 100 percent agree with that. This is what I'm always asking for so-called pro-lifers, be they Republican politicians or otherwise. Do you really believe what you're saying or not? Do you actually believe this or don't you? Because if you actually believe it, then you believe that children are being literally murdered and we are funding it. Um, and. So that should be something that just is causes unbelievable rage within you, and you want to do anything you can to stop it. So that's, or do you not believe it? So all these Republicans that say, you know, claim to be pro-life, if they don't really believe it, they don't think it's a big deal, you know, then just just come out and admit it so we can vote you out of office. But but be honest about what you really believe, and then whenever you believe, let's act on it. That's that's all I'm saying. Yeah, I I, I think some I think some of them are going to be. They might get exposed, Matt. I don't think I think a lot of conservative uh, or rather a lot of GOP congressmen in very conservative districts. They just say what they think they have to say. Um, all right. Matt Walsh, uh, the author of the Matt Walsh blog. Read his latest on the blaze dot com. And everybody go check out Matt's book. You can pre-order it. The Unholy Trinity. Matt, thank you so much for joining today. Buck Sexton. Dispensing the truth on the blaze radio network. All right, Team Buck, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. Uh, I've got to say that this it is a fascinating time to be in the media and covering politics and national security uh, because I've, I've no one's ever seen anything like this. You've never seen a situation where the incoming uh, or now recently uh, recently sworn in commander in chief, I should say, is beset by progressive activists on all sides they view their they view themselves as having a mandate here to go against the Trump administration using every means every method at their disposal there is a, this is a siege mentality that the Trump team must have i would assume it must have because it's so clear that much of the bureaucracy is against them. It's so clear that the media is the opposition party. You know, earlier in the week, uh, Steve Bannon, who uh, of formerly of Breitbart, uh, was saw a bunch of reporters all lined up outside of an office, and reportedly said to them, "Oh, the opposition party all lined up," which I have to say I think is quite funny, and it's true. What you're seeing happening with the Trump administration is a lot of illusions. 
are being shattered. This whole notion of a press corps that is dogged and honest and non-ideological and just bringing you the facts and speaking truth to power, we've known for a while now, not for that long really, when you look at the full uh, the, the, the full span of mass media in this country, which, by the way, started starts in a set. Well, yeah, it really starts with the printing press and newspapers. But radio was a tremendous expansion. And then, of course, you had TV later on. But when you look at 20th century and into the 20th, 21st century media in America, for a long time, this idea of a press corps that is an essential bulwark of democracy and that is really has has a a mission that is a sacred civic mission um this has been a central theme of major journalist institution journalistic institutions for a long time it's a lie now not it's not a lie that they don't speak truth sometimes to power it's not a lie that they uh try to be accurate and and, and i know there are a lot of reporters who do really good work and believe in what they do, and it is a necessary part of an informed citizen uh, citizenry, and it is necessary for a well-functioning democracy. I know we're a republic. This is, we're not a democracy republic. Yeah, I know, but we use the terms. Come on. So the, the part of it that's problematic is that they don't have an overwhelming ideological bias that informs... They're reporting on the editorial side of things, but also on the so-called hard news side of things, you know, the straight front page news stories. And they still, it's really not, an, it's fascinating to watch. They're, they've become irrational on this issue because they can't win that argument, but they still want to make the argument. You know, CNN is a Democrat institution. I mean, CNN is... Uh, I, I would wager, if you, if you could actually look at the political affiliations of CNN employees, it is at least, and I mean, across, I mean employees, anyone having anything to do with the news cycle there, so I'm not including back office and you know, admin and such, but anybody who is part of how they cover the news, I would wager 75% of them are Democrats, and it might be as high as 90 to 95% of them. Now you're going to tell me that that doesn't, and I, I work there. I'm not. I'm not just spitballing out of nowhere. I mean, this is an, an anecdotal but informed estimate. You're going to tell me that doesn't affect their. What do you think at the at the New York Times? Yeah, I know they have a couple of columnists who are conservative in some way. Although David Brooks is um, about as reliable as a fortune teller when it comes to his conservatism. I mean, give me a break. But you've got. Uh, Ross Douthit, who does a good job over there. But forget about the... because At least there, they're labeling people as ideologues or ideological, and you know that. I'm talking about the actual newspaper. The editorial board is controlled by liberals, of course. But the front page is liberal. And I know you know all of this. So I'm not, I'm not bringing it up to belabor the point or to tell you things. You're like, yeah, Buck, I'm already... We get it, right? We're in the Freedom Hub. We, we're already on board. We're, we're already up to speed. I know you are. But... I think it's it's bears repeating because that's why there's such anger and hatred and, and all the rest of it of Trump is that not only are we aware now and have been for a while of the media bias, but there is a president who has a tremendous platform and has real 
facility and skill in dealing with the media who just says what we all know. The, the, he's, he's ripping off the fig leaf. The, the veil is gone. There's no more pretense of, oh, I'm asking you know, NPR a question and, I'm going, as a, and as a Republican, I'm getting a fair shake. There, why, why do we play that game? Why do we pretend? Or why, why does anyone go along with this? It's, a, it's preposterous. But you'll notice that even though they could never win an argument that they're not Democrat-leaning or they're not infiltrated by Democrats, even though it's obvious to anyone watching this, they still bristle. They still become agitated. They still don't like it. And the reason for this is that even though we all know that the media is biased, there's still a value because a lot of people and some of them, probably people listening to this show right now, a lot of people are working really hard, providing for themselves, providing for their families, and they don't have that much time to look at politics closely. And they shouldn't, honestly. Um, for most people, politics should be something you're somewhat informed about to the degree you care and need to be. And that is it. It should not be an obsession. It's an obsession for me because this is what I do all the time. And that's just how I'm wired. But for most of you, honestly, straight up, you've got more important things to do. And I really mean that. You have more important things to do than sit around and read, you know, 50 different websites and go through all the different Twitter streams and Facebook and all the stuff that I do day in and day out and keeps me up late at night. This is my job. This is why I hope I bring value to you every day because I do all of that so that I can give you the best, the most important, the most insightful distillation of that whole process. But you have more important things to do straight up. Um, but. For the for the the part of the country, um, I'm sure some of you probably are journalists and, and yourselves, and some of you are certainly incredibly knowledgeable about the inner workings of D.C. in a way that I'll never be because you've worked in Congress or on the Hill. But nonetheless, you understand what I'm saying. But for much of the country, it's not as clear cut, and so when they listen to news outlets there's still a propaganda effect to it. There's still the, oh, well, it's the New York Times. There's still this perception that there's a gravitas to these places. And that, filt even if it's subconscious, filters into your thinking, filters into your perception of things that's going on, oh, about what's going on. Trump is shattering all of that. That's why they hate him so much. He's saying what we all know but don't say about the media, and it's incredibly profound and powerful. And we're going to continue this discussion tonight, team. Go to AmericanOutRadio.com slash, uh, or just AmericanOutRadio.com to listen live. You can go to AmericanOutRadio.com slash podcast. You're listening Soon we'll to have Buck Sexton podcast. on the Blaze Radio Network.